The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode number 96 of the Latter-day Lives podcast. I'm your host, Sean Rapier, and this week, before we jump into our amazing conversation, I want to uh, thank our reviewers always. We got another wonderful five-star review from Chef Gal 2 on uh, Apple Podcasts. And Apple Podcasts, as I mentioned before, really drives our visibility to people searching for good content. We are now up to 156 reviews with a five out of five star average. So thank you so much to all of you who take the time to review it. And Chef Gal 2 wrote just a, a very flattering review of the show, and we really appreciate it. Uh, this week on the show, my guest is Becky Proudfit. And if you know me at all, you know I love a good conversion story. And Becky's ties into so many just great themes. She is fantastic. She has so much energy and so much sparkle. I just loved having her on. You'll love this conversation. And this week in my Latter-day life, I'll tell you about an experience I had on an airplane, seeing a familiar face I've never seen before. It's all coming up. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. And today, here in the Latter-day Live studios, we have a speaker, a presenter, a podcast host, and legitimately a princess, which we will talk about in a minute and explain better. Becky Proudfit, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, I'm so excited to meet you because you have such a big following and you do so many cool things and you're here with your family. I got to meet your family, yes. which is just awesome and we'll get to all that. But first of all, let's learn a little more about you. Where are you from? Where'd you grow up? So I grew up in upstate New York, um, just outside of Buffalo. I love and, it. Yes, it was a great place to grow up, although now I live in Arizona, and when we go back to Buffalo to visit, I think there's no way I could live here. Like the cold, I just can't do it anymore. Something it's... happened to my body when I was in Arizona, and I just can't do cold. Yeah, I got stranded in Buffalo one time for three days because oh my they couldn't word. fly out, they couldn't plow the roads or anything. I secretly laugh. I lived in Utah for a short time during college with my husband, and when people would complain about the snow here, I thought, you have no idea. You yeah. don't even know. It was so bad with the snow. What were you like as a uh, younger person? So I think I was a lot, very much like I am today. Mm. So I actually went back um, last summer to my mom's house, and I was looking through kind of my like bin of memories, whatever, certificates. And everything that I pulled out was like the Sunshine Award, the Optimist Award, the like, <laughs> you know, those were kind of the like the token awards I got. And and that is true. I am like an eternal optimist. I'm totally a glass half full kind of girl. I refuse to be unhappy in life, whatever the circumstance, like I just don't accept that. And so I that love life. Awesome. I love happiness. I You've love always the been like that. I have. I really always have been like that. Yeah. And were you into, I mean, sports, cheerleading, music? What was your What was your passion when you were yes, growing up? Yes, to all of the above. All of them? Yes. So I did theater growing up. Um, I loved singing. Um, I was a cheerleader. I was on swim team. I did track. I tried soccer for a short time. Like I kind of tried 
everything. I knew people like you. Yes. It's impressive. I just love to be involved and I did all the things. Anything I could try, I gave it a try. One thing I know about you, though, I will tell our listeners, this is the first time we met, mm-hmm. uh, but you were not raised in the church. No, I was raised a member of another church and I was in a very religiously active family of another faith and um, and I loved it. I totally developed a relationship with Jesus Christ, which was amazing. And then as I grew older, um, there were some things that just didn't fit for me. And so I kind of fell away um, from going to church when I was in college. And I wouldn't say like I fell away from God necessarily. It was more that Mm. I was one of those people that was like, I'm spiritual, I'm not religious, because I had just not found a religion that I felt like really fit what I believed. Growing up in upstate New York, you think of course, people would be aware of the church. Like, I grew up an hour from where everything yeah. went down. I had never heard of the church. I had never heard of Joseph Smith. Mm. I had never heard of any of it. Uh, you finished high school there in New York. Where Where did that take you from there then? So I, um, I finished high school in New York, and then I went to a college, the State University of New York at Buffalo, um, and I was studying media studies. And towards the end of my freshman year, I was just walking through the quad, and there was a recruiter for Disney, and I was like well, that would be the best thing ever. Are you kidding? An internship at Disney. And so, of course, I like threw everything into like getting hired. And so I was hired by Disney as an intern on their college program. And my first job um, was actually on the team that created and implemented FastPass. Oh, no joke. Yeah. Because they weren't they weren't recruiting entertainment out of um, the school that I was at, and so I was on that kind of opening team to like. So that was for Disneyland. That was Disney World. Oh, that was for Disney World. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. so awesome. Disney World, and that was such a learning experience mm. to be on the front end of like this whole new thing happening at Disney, and it was great on a guest interaction standpoint because it was having to educate a consumer about this totally new thing no one understood. Yeah. And, Everyone was kind of bugged about, actually. And so it gave me a lot of really good experience with Disney. And um, I continued with that internship. And then there was an audition while I was down there um, for the entertainment department. And I thought, yeah, that's for sure what I want to do. That's a hard program to get into. That college program is, from what I understand, remarkably competitive. Was the process to get into it difficult? Um. I wouldn't say difficult. Disney knows what it's looking for. Mm. And I know um, I actually used to recruit in Utah when I was was done working at Disney World and lived here. And and recruiters are looking for pretty specific things. And so I wouldn't say it's difficult. Yes, competitive. um, But they're looking for go-getters. They're looking for positive people. They're looking for self-motivated people and people who want to be kind of self-propelling themselves. um, Because that's what the Disney company is about. They promote from within. They give you all these opportunities for growth and for education. And they want people that are going to utilize that and represent their brand well. Awesome. Awesome. So that leads us up to after this this time, this internship, they had an audition for entertainment. Yes. Did you know what it was specifically or did it just say entertainment? So when you audition for entertainment, um, you go to kind of a general audition and there are so many different entertainment um, opportunities, especially at Disney World because it's so much larger than Disneyland. And and so there's dancing and um, singing is a different audition, but there's dancing, there's character performing, there's face character performance, which is, you know, when you are actually portraying a character. And so they have you come into this general audition that they have you do uh, some pantomime and a little bit of monologuing and just some dance combinations. And then they kind of pull you out if they want to see you in a specific role. Mm. And so you kind of go in like being willing to accept whatever 
And I totally would have been happy, like, carrying the rope at the parade, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's attitude you have to have. Um, so entertainment and, is anybody in the parade, anybody. Parades, shows. Yeah, any kind anything. of entertaining. Mm-hmm. Okay, awesome. Yeah. And so what did you get? Uh, what did you end up so getting? So I got pulled out for a face character, which means that would be a character where your face is shown. So yeah, princesses, no mask, no mask exactly. Yeah. And so I was pulled out for that, and I was like, is this really happening? And I can't believe this is happening. And um, and was able to get a job as a face character, which meant that I was able to be a princess at Disney, which was the coolest experience of my life. So fun. You were legitimately a Disney princess. I was. It that was is so amazing. fun. Yeah. What's it like the first time you go out as a Disney princess? What's the first time? What, what's it like? What's it feel I like? would say it's like out of body, right? Like it's something that I never would have even known to dream for. Yeah. Um, the first time I went out, I just thought, oh my gosh, is this real? And something that I kind of even to this day think about when I anything having to do uh, with, with business or my profession, if I won't do it for free, I won't do it. And this hmm. was a job I would do for free, for sure. I love sure. that. That's a great way to think. Yeah. So you would work, you'd be out, and it's hot in Orlando. That was a big adjustment because coming from New York – Going down to Orlando, that was a massive adjustment, um, heat wise. And so the first couple of months, I remember sweating a lot, like a lot, a lot. <laughs> and then somewhere my body adjusted, and it wasn't so bad. But those first couple of months were for sure rough, really yeah. rough. Do you have a favorite memory or favorite experience being a princess? Yes. So um, I did this for a few years, and. I, in life, and of course at Disney, am the kind of person I loved the one-on-one connection. And so let me give parents a tip if you're taking your kids to Disney. The worst thing you can do is to have an agenda. Like the magic of Disney are like these organic moments that happen, and Disney is a world-class company and creates these moments. When parents are like shoving their kids on characters and like, go make this connect, it doesn't work. And so when you're able to make those connections with kids in just a really organic way, and sometimes it takes a little time. Mm. And so I would try to really take my time until, um, until the child was comfortable, until they could have the experience they wanted to have. But I, I remember this one particular girl, and it was probably one of my first couple weeks of working, and she was like one and it took her forever. I had to get down on her level, and it just took her a long time to, like, warm up to me. And we were able to spend, like, some really meaningful time together. And I remembered her parents, and and I thought back to that girl so much. Well, fast forward, like, a year and a half, two years. I'm, again, in character, and I see this girl, and I recognize her, and I'm like, wow, where do I know her from? Like, this is she from my hometown? Like... And I recognized the mom, and it ended up being this very same girl. Mm. And so I was able to meet her at two different stages in her life. And the mom remembered me, and I remembered her, and we both cried, and we were able to to have this moment together again. And that's really what the magic was for me, was about just that the, those one-on-one connections and those moments of magic. To get paid to bring joy to people, I mean, what a blessing. Oh, and like I said, I would do it for free. I that's would absolutely incredible. do it for free. Yeah. Awesome. Boy, I don't know how in especially in Orlando, but even in Anaheim, you know, where it gets it gets up to, you know, 100, 102. Mm-hmm. The non-face characters. Yeah. I cannot imagine that kind of heat. Well, like, you know what? Disney is really really protective of its cast members, and so there's a lot of things in place. Um they're you know, you're you're not out there for as long as you'd think and they yeah. provide 
Gatorades and other things, they really, really protect their cast members. That's awesome. I've heard it's just such a wonderful place to work. Never worked there, but I've heard it's wonderful. But this leads you on this journey to meeting someone who is a member of the church, as you alluded to. Yes. And how did did that all happen? So I was at work one day, and I was working with another face character um, who was Snow White. And um, again, she was kind of like off on her own a little bit and I wanted to bring her in as I do and I wanted to bring her into this this group because she was kind of new and so um, I started asking her questions about herself to get her to open up and she started to tell me about her church and this um, as I said before this was a time when I kind of separated myself a little bit from religion and you think being in this job that's like the pinnacle of what you know things I never would have dreamed of that I would have been totally fulfilled And I loved my life and I was happy, but there still was something missing that I couldn't really quite put my finger on. And so as I was having these conversations with her, she was telling me about the doctrine of eternal families. She was telling me about the temple. She was telling me about the prophet. And although these concepts were so foreign to me, the best way I can describe it was like I was coming home. It was like I was hearing truth that I already knew. And because I had a relationship with the Savior growing up in another faith, um, when I was able to hear the truth, like it just resonated like deep, deep, deep within my soul. And um, she invited me to go to General Conference, which was like the next couple days. And this whole idea of a prophet, I was not sure about. Like, you know, you hear the word prophet in today's yeah. media, like it doesn't have great connotations, sure. right? And um, I remember President Hinckley got up and it was the Beatitudes talk that he gave, oh, right? Yeah. Awesome. And I thought to myself, I'm not sure about this whole modern day prophet, but if there was a prophet, this is exactly what he would be saying. He would be saying mm. that we need to be humble and I need to be humble. And this is exactly what he'd be saying. And so I started to take the discussions and almost immediately was like, this is it. I found it. I know exactly where I belong. And I never, ever looked back. That is just amazing. Um, are you are you still friends with Snow White? Absolutely. I was just with her two nights ago. We're still very, very, very good friends. In fact, when I was baptized, um, I was in Florida, like I said, and it was a tricky situation with my family because they were really hurt and there was some contention there with, surrounding my baptism. And I thought, what's a new LDS girl to do? And so we decided to move to Utah. And so I actually moved to Utah with her and lived with her family, um, applied to be an EFY counselor, was an EFY counselor, um, and really just like dove into this new life. And so her family during that really difficult time with my family was was really able to to become family to me. And, and my kids call her mom Nana. And to this day, we're all very, very close still. As you've negotiated these waters now, what advice do you have for people who become members of the church? I mean, it's completely understandable families' perceptions. Mm-hmm. You know, if they have not been through that conversion, they only know what they know or what they've heard about our church. What what advice would you give people who are navigating those waters? You know, I think everybody navigates them. I have teenagers now and watching them navigate their own personal conversion with friends or with you know, whoever, um, your conversion is your own. Mm. And as much as our church is a church of community, the gospel is a very singular experience. And so you can exist in your conversion, knowing what the truth is completely on your own. And that's okay. 
Like that's totally okay. Heavenly Father has given us all these extra systems to make sure that we're never alone in the eternities, but like you can completely exist in your conversion by yourself. And I always tell my kids, the blessing of the gospel is not that like you make it to celestial kingdom. The blessing of the gospel is you have the peace and joy of knowing the truth while you're on the earth. It's not about the end goal. It's about like the peace you have right now. And you have to focus on that peace and center yourself on the peace and the truth that you know. And nothing else really should matter. Uh, I just, I love hearing how natural, I mean, I'm sure that there were obviously a thousand other steps in this, but how natural your conversion was. And so here after years of Disney, time to hang up the tiara and you yep. come out to Utah, how much culture shock? You're going from Buffalo oh. to Orlando <laughs> to Utah. <laughs> well, so there was this book that I bought in Florida. I laugh now. I, w- I have to find this book. But it was a book called A Convert's Guide to Mormon Life. Oh, no because I've never heard of that. it was such a culture shock. And it talked about like even the verbiage we have with wards and, and stake presidents and, and all the things that no member of the church would ever think to explain that are so bizarre. Why we fold our arms instead of like doing prayer hands like the, you know, the rest yeah. of the world does. Just all these little things that I was so confused about. So I totally dove into reading that book. I will say <laughs> when I moved to Utah, I read all five volumes of Answers to Gospel Questions the first summer I was here because I was like, I have to understand. It was such a culture shock. I joke because my husband, who I met, um, he, he was actually one of the missionaries in Florida. He was not super involved um, with my baptism, but he kind of called me when he got home to make sure I was still active and like kind of to touch base when he heard I had moved to Utah. And I joke because I didn't realize we were dating till like our fourth date because like <laughs> when a boy and a girl hang out um, in the rest of the world, it just means they're friends. Like they're yeah. hanging out, they're going to a movie. Like I didn't realize that was a date until... <laughs> <laughs> Until a few dates in, um, the culture shock was was a lot. I did a lot of educating myself, and truthfully, I did a lot of educating myself about what was doctrine and what was culture, so mm. that I could separate the two for myself. And so that was a lot of really fun work that I got to do my first uh, my first couple months in Utah. I think that's really important because as we see, sometimes people latch on to culture; they latch mm. on to the missionaries or to a home teacher, or to a bishop, or whatever, they consider that doctrine, they consider that their testimony. And while those things certainly build testimonies, those people are going to leave, or those people might have struggles, or whatever. So you reconnected with your husband, who who you had known. You ended up getting married. Mm-hmm. Yes. So there was a lot of change very quickly. And yeah. so we actually got married. Um, so I was baptized October 25th. And then the following September, we got married, which I was not prepared for. Like, it was one of those things where I desperately wanted to serve a mission. Like, after I was baptized, Mm. I was an EFY counselor. I desperately really wanted to serve a mission. And I prayed about it, and it just was not right. Like, I wanted so badly for it to be right, and it just wasn't. And around that time, I realized I was dating my husband. And and we both pretty quickly knew that we were supposed to get married, which— to me, I mean, less than 12 months ago, like, are you kidding? I hadn't yeah. even seen the church coming now, like, getting married at 21. Are you kidding? Like, no one does that where I'm from. And it was a really scary thing, but it was right. 
You know? I've got to imagine that didn't help your family's perception of the church. It didn't. Like no. you go from you go from here's our daughter who yeah. you know, our sister or whatever that we raised a certain way. Now all of a sudden it's boom, you're baptized. Then you're in Utah. Now you're getting married to one of these guys that you just met. Mm-hmm. How did you How did you deal with all that? How did that all go? Well. Luckily, my husband's like maybe the most likable person in the world. And so my parents will even tell you, like, they tried so hard to hate him. Like, they really (laughs) tried so hard. I think they truthfully like him more than they like me. Like, he's so, he's such an awesome, level headed, just wonderful man. And so they, despite themselves, found themselves really loving this man that I was going to marry, which was really, really helpful. Um, but yeah, it was really hard. Like my friends I went to college with were like, what are you doing? Like you become a member of this church and now you're getting married? Like, are you pregnant? What's wrong? Like, why are you doing this? And it was already a really scary thing for me. But um, getting married was definitely the best decision I've ever made. Finding awesome. that right person that Heavenly Father had for me. And we also, and I'll share this. We I, I don't think I've ever shared this, but... Um, so we got married in September, and I had not been a member of the church for a year yet. So we were going to wait till it was like my year mark, because you know you have a year after you're baptized before you can go to the temple. Yeah. And he and I were praying about it, and his mission president, who you know knows both of us obviously, was like, well, you do know that you can get married not in the temple, and if you're temple worthy, at the time when you get married, um, you can actually get sealed as soon as your year mark is up. And we had never heard of that rule, which now they've just changed it where that's the rule for everyone. For everyone. Yeah. Um, and we were like, no, we can't do that. I like, didn't know that. To... So if you had gotten baptized, mm-hmm. if your only reason you hit your year, if your yes. only reason, if your only reason for not going to the temple, the temple oh. was your waiting period, okay, you could get no married idea. civilly. And mm. my husband's father actually was not a member of the church at the time, and my family obviously yeah. first kid to get married. You know, it was just a really hard decision, and we felt so much peace about we can do that. Like, that's such a great idea. And so we got married civilly in September, and then as soon as my year mark was up, we went to the temple, and we kind of separated the two. And um, it was such a cool experience to be married, not being endowed, not being sealed, and then see that change as that happened. And I would not have had it any other way. And we had some opposition. Like, we had some, like— why are you doing this? And people doubting our worthiness and not understanding. And um, it was hard, but it was so the right thing for us to do. And so I love when that when that got changed and now it's a rule for everyone. I was like, see, it was a thing. Like yeah. it's totally a thing. <laughs> um, and it was great when we got sealed. I didn't wear my wedding dress. It was very like just he and I and a few people. And we were really able to focus on that sealing ordinance kind of separate from the wedding. And it was it was such a cool experience. One of the things I love when I talk to our guests is I I can always see the hand of the Lord and his timing. Oh, for sure. And I hear it in you that you were placed in all these places at just the right time. Mm -hmm. And I mean, even a few months later, this would have changed it. And I can imagine for your family how much softer the transition must have been with it being a wedding rather than one year after this baptism saying, hey, by the way, I'm getting married and you can't come. And you can't come. Yeah. I can't imagine. And I just, the tender mercies of the Lord, I, and we get, I think sometimes very wrapped up. I'm, I'm sad to hear you say people, you know, people were questioning us. 
gosh, it's nobody's business. The Lord's timing right? is the Lord's timing. And and even if it had been a worthiness issue, it still really wasn't anyone's business. Yes, but nobody's I business. think it's so... Um, I'm, I, I feel like I see evidence all around me all the time with the doctrine of the church, with these little like lesser known rules, just the character of our Father in Heaven, how much compassion mm. and mercy and love there is, because that was an act of love that I was able to like share that experience with my parents it's of awesome. my wedding was such like a gift Heavenly Father gave us to include all of His children in this beautiful thing. And... I, I just look for evidence all around me, and I see it everywhere, like just how merciful. And I think when all is said and done, we, we don't even haven't even scratched the surface of the depth of the mercy our Father in Heaven has for every one of His children. I'm mm. so, so thankful for that. And it just, it makes me so joyful when I, when I think about that. So now all of a sudden, you're married. Yep. You went through one of the craziest years I've ever heard of. Yep. I mean, it's, I say crazy in the most positive way. Awesome. All of a sudden, you are a married Utah. Yes. That's amazing. A so, married member of the church in Utah. Yeah, a married <laughs> member of the church in Utah. I mean, literally from Disney Princess in yes. Orlando to awesome. So where did that take you from there? So we were married and we laughed like five seconds after we were married, got pregnant. Classic. Lovely, lovely I mean, surprise. You could not have been a more member of the church then. Seriously. The quick marriage and the quick pregnancy. Exactly. And welcome and to being a stereotype. Had a beautiful surprise <laughs> of becoming pregnant with our first child, and um, which again was total shock. Our first wedding anniversary, we had a newborn, um, which was a lot. Wow, yeah. that is fast. Yeah. Oh yeah. So within within one year, I was baptized, moved across the country, was married, and had a baby. That is. Unreal, Becky. The Lord carried me through. I can like, imagine. He, he, like I felt so guided, and I, I even still feel that way. The yeah. great blessing of being a convert is when I can look back and say, like, I can tell you the day that I chose, totally chose to align my life with Heavenly Father's plan for me. Like I've never looked back, and and there's been a thousand things that have happened since then that I'm like. He's just carrying me. So I had my four kids. Like I said, I had been recruiting for Disney up until um, I had my third child, Lucy, um, when we moved to Arizona and my husband started his company. And at that time, I just really needed to focus on home and I needed to hunker down and um, and be there as as my family was starting this company. Was and the Arizona move for the company? So funny story. Um, my husband worked for a company in Utah and that company went out of business and he was being kind of headhunted by a few different companies. And we had job offers, um, one in Southern California, one in Colorado, one in Texas. And when we prayed about it, the only answer we got was we were supposed to be in Phoenix. And we were like, what? We don't have a job offer in Phoenix. Like, is <laughs> what? And it made no sense whatsoever, but we're like, okay, that's where we need to be. So we picked up and we moved to Phoenix and um, my husband and his brother decided to start a business. And my husband said, yes, but it has to be in Phoenix. And I have no idea why, but that's where my family needs to be. And so we moved to Phoenix and started the company. And it was unbelievable. Yeah. And it's been great. It's been such a blessing. Um, the business, the flexibility my husband has with his schedule is Oh, so amazing. So it was after my fourth child. My fourth child was five. And um, we were trick-or-treating for Halloween, and I started bleeding. And I was like, well, that's weird. Um, the area where we live is by a medical school, so tons of doctors in our ward. Um, and and um, my OBGYN lived in our stake, and so I called him on his cell phone, and I was like, hey, something weird's happening. Um, 
I'm just going to come into your office and just if if you can work me in at all during the day, that would be great. Um, I brought a book to read in case he couldn't. And I wasn't super concerned. I'm super diligent about getting my yearly test done and making sure I'm yeah. taking care of that. Nothing had ever come back abnormal. And um, when I saw him, they thought I had like a, a non-cancerous tumor. And so he, he knew we were done having kids. And he said, well, let's just go ahead and do a hysterectomy um, because that's where this is going to lead anyways, and you might as well just get it done with now while I'm, you know, the the scheduling worked out fine, so I had the hysterectomy. I recovered totally fine. Um, They didn't even really rush pathology because they weren't, they had no concern. I was totally fine. And then when pathology came back 10 days later, it was cancer. And we were all totally, totally shocked. I mean, did not even see it. I remember he called me, and he's like, are you driving? And I was, I thought, well, that's not good if you're asking me if I'm driving. And so um, I said, no, I'm just with the kids. And he said, okay, well, I just got pathology back and, and it's cancer. And I remember kind of just falling to my knees and just kind of having like the wind knocked out of me being like, what? I don't even know what's happening. And so I called my husband and I said, I have cancer. You need to come home right now. And um, our bishop, who obviously lives around the corner from us, he's a dear friend of ours, came over and he and my husband were able to give me a blessing. And this was all within the first, like, 15 minutes of finding out. And he gave me a blessing, and I kid you not, he laid his hands on my head, and I could feel, I could fi- I could physically feel the Spirit just wash over my body. And I had total and complete peace. And during that blessing, um, he told me that my experience with cancer was going to be able to bless the lives of so many people. Mm. And... I knew I got to that place where I was like, what I'm saying in the temple, like, do I mean it? Like, do I mean it? Do I trust the Lord with my life? Mm. If this is the time when my life is going to end, do I trust the Lord enough that that is a plan for me and that's a plan for my children and for my family? And as soon as I made that decision, it changed everything because I was like, my life is Heavenly Father's. It's not mine. And so if this is the end, that's okay. And if it's not the end, that's okay too. And it just wasn't in my control anymore. And I was able to get in for treatment um, very, very quickly. So I did radiation and chemo after my surgery and um, totally beat it. Becky, I, I don't think anyone would have blamed you. And maybe you did have this moment. I don't know. But I could imagine in the quiet moments thinking, okay, I joined the church. I got married. I went through the temple. Yeah. I had the kids. I did everything you asked and now cancer. Did that ever come to you? Honestly, it didn't. And Gosh, I know that amazing. sounds so crazy. No, it's Becky, it's wonderful. It, it, it didn't because speaks to your attitude and your conversion. That's incredible. And and honestly, that's what I attribute it to. I truly believe, and this is a lesson in parenting I have learned, that Heavenly Father knows how to get each of us individually to our highest level of testimony possible for me, that was not being raised in the church and coming to the gospel the way that I did. For some others, it might be being raised in the church. But I I have such a strong testimony that Heavenly Father knows how to get us to the place He needs us to be. And I knew that cancer was part of that. I I knew in like the deepest part of my body, I knew it was part of it. And yeah, there were moments of like, this really sucks. Like, I don't like this very much. But it also, in the weirdest way, um, I had to completely relinquish control of my life 
And because of that, it changed everything. Like I'm a better parent because I'm not as controlling. I'm not as fixated on like my plan for my kids' lives <laughs> as opposed to Heavenly Father's plan for their lives. I, I I just had to really relinquish some like maybe control issues that I had developed and it was it was freeing. My husband jokes that he's like, You need to write a book called How Cancer Cured My Anxiety. But it oh, did. That's great. <laughs> but it really did. <laughs> it really did. And I learned how strong I was. I never thought wow. like I could be a mom through chemo and I was. Yeah. And I'm not afraid of it anymore. If it comes back, it comes back. Like but for I now, you're your clean bill of health. Totally clean bill of health. Oh, that's and so great. The treatment we did, we went with that course of treatment because it was curative. It wasn't. Um, it wasn't like supposed. To, it's not supposed to come back. My cure. My cure rate was like ninety six percent after I was done oh, with treatment. So that is just awesome. How yeah. inspiring! Incredible. When when did speaking begin for you? When did you become a speaker? So my husband's mission president, who we love dearly. Um, was actually called as the um, visitor center president in Mesa, him and his wife, who we're close with. And he called us, and this was before I even had my third child. He called us and said, guess what? You're going to come down to the temple, and you're going to do firesides for youth. And we were like, but we don't have a fireside. Like, what are you talking about? And he said, no, it's going to be great. So you're going to come next Wednesday, and this is what's going to happen. And we were like, okay. So we wrote a fireside because my husband's story is actually pretty remarkable. He was denied from his mission three times for health reasons. Mm. He had a really life-threatening illness and was able to have like a miracle cure happen to him. So he went out on his mission when he was 21. And he kept submitting because he knew, he knew, he knew he needed to be there. And we met each other on the last month of his mission. And so his story to get on his mission and the things he had to overcome coupled with my journey to the gospel, was kind of what our fireside was about. And so we spoke youth conferences and girls' camps and at the Temple Visitor Center for a couple years pretty pretty steadily, which was awesome. Again, nothing I saw coming for my yeah. life. And um, we kind of calmed down a few years ago with that. I went through cancer. Um, I went through another pretty crazy thing. Um, I found out through doing family history, I'm the only link to the gospel, so I'm kind of obsessed with family history. Yeah. And um, in kind of busting through some some barriers I had with genealogy, I did a DNA test and found out that I had a different father than I thought I did. And um, Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that was, again, that was last summer, too, and um, which was fine. And I was able to find this biological father that I have. And so I'm like 2,500-ish people deep in my family history that I've found. And I have not had one member of the church anywhere. Not one member of the church. Wow. And I, so I find this biological father who I need to get some medical information from. And um, I was a thousand percent prompted to like keep pushing, keep pushing past these walls Come to find out when I meet him, that entire side of the family is inactive members of the church that had fallen away when my grandpa had died. And so this was like another thing the Heavenly Father was just kind of giving me and pushing me along on this path. And it has been a crazy ride, for yeah. sure. Um, the podcast kind of came up. Yeah, I yeah. want to hear all about the podcast. It, all of this kind of led to the podcast. G give us the name of the podcast. So my podcast is, is called Cultivate a Good Life. And my friend Becky Higgins, who is way bigger and more well-known than I am, she um, is the founder and creator of Project Life. Um, she has this 30-year career in, in social media and memory keeping and documenting. Um, 
we knew her personally. Our kids were friends. And she had the idea to have a podcast. And I was not part of her business at all. And so she came to me and she's like, I know this is crazy, but I'm supposed to start a podcast. And when I went to the temple, you're supposed to do it with me. And I was like, okay. That's yeah. it. You know, we went to the temple, we prayed about it, and I was like, this is what I'm supposed to do. And then I thought back to that blessing I got when I was having cancer, that I was having these experiences so that I could share and help other people. And so I feel like Heavenly Father just led me right to it. And the podcast has been such a fun experience. It has been so gratifying. We've been able to connect with some of the most amazing people I've ever met and hear stories of faith in and stories of just such goodness and light. Yeah. And it has been such an amazing thing to be part of. It's So I've listened to a couple of episodes now getting ready for our conversation. Yeah. It's so positive. It is a just ray of sunshine, like hearing what people have been through and what you've been through. And you guys together are very funny. So, you yeah. know. <laughs> We're you kind know. of a yin and yang. For sure you do. <laughs> you, you have it. And you've got a big following too. Yeah. I mean, it's it's obviously had great. Uh, I mean, how rewarding is it to hear from your listeners? I love it. I love. Uh, we've always said it's not about numbers. It's not about money. It's about like that one person that isn't feeling alone anymore, yeah. or that one person that finds hope, or finds that there are other people going through what she is going through, and that has been the most rewarding part. Is I truly believe that our experiences are given to us not for us to keep to ourselves, but for us to share, for us to share with other people so that none of us ever have to feel alone. And it's and, cultivate a good life. Mm-hmm, cultivate a good life. Yeah, it's awesome. It's Thanks. really fun. Yeah, we we really love it. it. And it's been fun. Becky and I are like really good friends in real life. We're not just podcast co-hosts. Like our families are dear friends and it's been such a fun project to do with her. It's great. I think people... It's my belief that people are looking for good. People want to find the good. And it's podcasts like yours. It's podcasts like ours that is like giving them something good to find, right? Right. Yesterday, we were actually, I was in Arizona yesterday teaching at Time to Blossom, Mm. this young women's conference. And we were talking about social media, and it's the same thing. People want to find the good. Whether or not they're members of the church, they are looking for light and truth. Yeah. And to be part of like this amazing group of people who are just doing their best to bring light and truth in media, to the world, like that just sets my soul on fire. I love it. Because if you're looking for the good, you're going to find it. I I look at how people talk about what a difficult time it is to be alive. And yet I look at what you do with your podcast, hopefully what this accomplishes with this podcast, guys like High Five Live and how they use Facebook, YouTubers. What an amazing time to be alive. It is. We could have never shared our testimonies and our stories even 10 years ago, the way we do now. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it's a beautiful time to be alive. We're about at time. Becky, I could talk to you for hours because your story, I love that I didn't know most of it. <laughs> I, I actually, because I, and I, it's a good thing I'm not on video because I'm sure my face this entire time has just been this shocked look of, holy cow. <laughs> it's just awesome. And I love what you do. Again, if people want to follow you, uh, cultivate a good life is probably the best way to follow you. So on Instagram, um, at Becky Proudfit, it's just my name is my at Instagram. Becky Proudfit. Mm-hmm. And then um, Cultivate a Good Life podcast is available Google Play, Stitcher, iTunes, all the places. All over. Yep. And the reviews are phenomenal. And I will add that. I will add a definite uh, 
my seal of approval for what it's worth. Well, thank you. But it's you. it's awesome and inspiring and uplifting. And by the way, I I will just tell our listeners I got to meet your family. They're all yeah. here, and I just loved it. There's an energy to your family, and I get it. It's just an awesome life. We're we're about at time. We're going to wrap up with the question that we ask all of our guests, and I'll be excited to hear your thoughts on that. And yeah. that is Becky. What does uh, being a member of the church mean to you? Being a member of the church means to me that I am never alone. I have this wonderful community within my church, but more than that, being a member of the church means to me that I get to have peace, that I get to have joy walking through this earth because I know where I'm going, because I know where to find truth, Mm. because I know that my brother and my father in heaven are there every day in everything I do, guiding me, walking me along the path, showing me where I need to be. And I will tell you, their vision for my life is so much greater than what I had ever dreamed for my life. And I love it. I love every bit of it. She is a speaker, a podcast host, a social media personality, a former Disney princess, a mother, a wife, a cancer survivor, and so much more. And definitely an amazing child of God. Becky, thank you so much for sharing your Latter-day Life with us. Thank you for having me. And my special thanks to Becky Proudfit for coming in. Becky has such an energy, such a glow, you could probably sense it. Sitting here watching her tell her story was such a blessing. Uh, I just loved meeting her, as well as her husband and her beautiful family. It was just awesome. This week in my Latter-day life, uh, I'm thinking of uh, an experience I had very recently. Uh, while I was sitting on an airplane, I had gotten on early and I was sitting up at the toward the front of the plane and I love people watching. And they board the plane and these two girls walked on. They were in their late teens, young 20s. Uh, they were identical twins, beautiful red hair. And uh, as they walked by and I was looking up, one of the girls looked over and smiled at me. And when she smiled, it just triggered this thought of a dear, dear friend of mine, uh, who I hadn't seen for a few years. And she was a sister who had served in my mission with me. And early on in my mission, we were in the same district, we'd become quite good friends while on the mission. And then after the mission, we hung out uh, several times, we traveled together to uh, one of our mission friends weddings. And I just consider her such a dear, incredible friend, even though we really don't don't keep in touch anymore. We see each other at mission reunions, but when we do, immediately, that bond is just super strong, and I couldn't get it out of my mind. I was flying from uh, Salt Lake City to California, and I don't remember her ever telling me that she had daughters at all or twins or what, how old they would be or anything. But I do remember that she was living somewhere in Southern California. And here it was a late, late night flight to San Diego. And I thought maybe she's in that San Diego area. I just couldn't remember. But that smile was so my friend. (laughs) It was so much like her that I finally got out my phone and I sent a quick message to this dear, sweet friend of mine. And I just said, hey, this is a crazy, crazy long shot. But by any chance, do you have um, twin daughters? And I know this sounds random, 
but are they flying from Salt Lake City to San Diego? And about two minutes later, I got this response, all caps, yes, big exclamation points. Oh my gosh, those are my daughters. Uh, They were in Utah for a wedding or something, and they're flying home. And in fact, I'm picking them up. And I replied and just said, no way. I just saw them walk by. And when I saw your daughter smile, I knew she had to be your daughter. And uh, so we texted back and forth a bit and planned to meet up in front of the airport. She was actually picking them up, even though we didn't land till 1130. Turns out she lives about an hour north of San Diego. And so I walked over. Once we got off the plane, I introduced myself to her daughters. She had already sent them a message saying, hey, a dear friend of mine is on the plane. And so we were able to talk. And as we walked to baggage claim, I kind of told them some uh, some funny stories about their mom and just how much I love and appreciate her. Well, we walked outside and my friend pulled up in her car to pick up her daughters and jumped out of the car. And we gave each other the biggest hug and just laughed at how funny it is to see each other again. And at such an odd place, we took pictures together and it was so heartwarming for me and such a wonderful experience. And they took off and headed out. And when I really think back at that experience, I think that not only did she, these girls look like their mom, but there was something in that smile. And I'm sure in the back of my mind, maybe I knew it, I must have known at some point that she had twin daughters and that they were about that age. And I'm sure that, you know, like I said, I kind of remembered that she lived in somewhere near San Diego now. But I also believe that there's this concept of, I don't know if I'd call it spiritual DNA or something that we pass down, that people carry a spirit. And I really saw something in her daughter that was her, that was a piece of her. It wasn't just a random look. And I went back through Facebook. There are no recent pictures I could find or anything that would tip me off that this was, that these were her daughters. But, uh, But sure enough, it was an incredible experience, and I'm so grateful for the people we meet along the way. One of the big themes that comes out of this show all the time is how important people are, that people matter, that the relationships that we forge on earth are important throughout the eternities and throughout the heavens. I believe it. I'm grateful for it. And that's what's happening this week in my Latter-day Life. I want to thank you all again so much for checking out the show this week. If you want to follow us on social media, we are on Facebook, we are on uh, Instagram, as well as Twitter. And again, if you get a minute to give us a review, we really appreciate it. Or just sharing us with, with someone who might enjoy this uplifting content. We continue to grow, and as we grow, it just helps us to get better and better guests. So until next week, when we have another great guest lined up for you, please remember, as always, There is a great, big, beautiful world out there. So go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 